You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. launching a brand new series called This Is Us. Now, a lot of you are probably familiar with the award-winning hit TV series called This Is Us. It's about a family of siblings, and it looks at all the connections that these three people have that all share the same birthday. And you follow the Pearson kids around. There's Kate and Kevin and Randall, and their lives intertwine, and there's flashbacks to the past, and you see why things are the way they are in the present because of what happened in the past, and it's a, it's a very engaging show. This show is a look inside of this specific family as they face these various challenges and life events over the course of their entire lives. Well, as we begin 2018, we're kicking off our version of This Is Us as we look at who we are. And it, it looks, this series, This Is Us, looks at the purpose as a church that we have and the values that are key in us accomplishing that purpose. You know, as a church family, it's vital to periodically refresh our focus on what it means to actually be part of God's church and focus on the things that are important to the church. Rick Warren, well known for his book, Purpose Driven Life, wrote a book prior to that called Purpose Driven Church, which was also a really successful book. And he says in that book, he says, strong churches are built on purpose. The starting point for every church should be the question, why do we exist? So each year, we take some time to kind of reevaluate and answer that question, why do we exist? To answer it again. What is it that God is calling us to invest our lives in? You see, the mission hasn't changed. All the way back to the first century, the mission has always been the same. We, like every Christ-centered church, are called to live by the Great Commission, to live that out. In fact, we even refer to ourselves periodically around here as a Great Commission church. This Great Commission is what Jesus called his followers to do just before he ascended into heaven. And so this morning, I want to read this very important passage together. If you would indulge me just for a moment and stand, if you're able to. And I want us to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20 together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Thank you very much. You may be seated. What Jesus says in this passage is that making disciples is why the church exists. It's why we exist. Making disciples starts when an individual surrenders his or her life to Jesus by believing that he is the Son of God and the Messiah, and then confessing him as Lord, repenting of his or her sins, and then being baptized into Jesus' name. This is the very first step of becoming a disciple of Jesus. And when we talk about being a Great Commission church, we're talking about this passage in Matthew 28. It's It's the Great Commission that defines us. A Great Commission church is a group of followers of Jesus who are committed to living out this mission. 
It's a key part of what we're about around here. We call it the core of our strategy. And it's important that we all understand it. Now, living the Great Commission is not complicated. I'm not saying that it's always easy, but I will tell you that it's not complicated. In fact, there's basically three parts to it. The first part is explaining God's love and forgiveness to others who don't know about it. God cares for those who are not yet part of his family. If you didn't know that before, if you're not a Christian yet, God absolutely adores you, and you need to know that. He loves you, and he wants you to know that he loves you. And he also wants you to know that he'll forgive you if you'll just receive this gift of grace. The second part of the Great Commission is probably the easiest of all of them, and that's baptize them once they make a decision that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of their life. And they accept that love, that free gift of God's forgiveness. And then the third part is to teach them what you've learned about Jesus. He says at the end of the Great Commission, teach them all that I have commanded you. So what you know, what God has entrusted, that, that insight and understanding to you, share that with them. In order for us to be the most effective at living out the Great Commission, we want to focus in this series on some key values. These values help us to actually live out this mission. The value we're going to look at this morning is the value of grace. Grace is defined simply as God's free and undeserved favor towards sinful humanity. God's free and undeserved favor toward a sinful humanity. Grace is God's plan to restore the relationship between God and man that was broken when man sinned. God's grace comes only through Jesus Christ. And it is through his life and his death and his resurrection that sin and the effects of it are counteracted. Now Paul points out that there are two very key significant responses that every person should have towards this gift of grace. He uses 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, if you want to turn there for just a moment, to use as kind of a springboard to explain all this. Paul talks a lot about grace throughout his books, but in this one he spotlights two key responses that we should have. And the first one is that we should accept grace. Accept grace. We need to have grace in our own lives. Many of you in this room have already received the gift of God's forgiveness. You received that free gift of grace at some point in your lives. And you know the value of it. But not everyone has. And it's important to recognize the very first response that we should have towards grace is to receive it. To accept it. He writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Apostle Paul does these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And skipping down to verse 21, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died as a sacrifice so that our sins might be washed away. And then he rose from the dead, overpowering the one power that Satan had, and that was death. If we accept God's grace, then our sins are washed away. And we become a new creation, as Paul says. Every single one of us need to accept his grace. Don't think you can go through this life and finish well without it. There will be something missing. 
And it'll be a tragedy when you get to the end of your life. Well, there's a second significant response that Paul says we should have towards God's grace. And that is we should share it. We should share grace. Every Christian has the calling given by God to share his grace. Look what Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians 5. He continues to verse 18. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are therefore, excuse me, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You can almost hear the apostles saying that. We implore you, be reconciled to God. God calls each of us who's a follower of his to tell others about this grace that he has, this gospel, this good news. We are his ambassadors representing him. He has deputized every single Christ follower to make the case that everyone should accept this grace. No one should miss it. Lee Strobel, who wrote a wildly successful book called Case for Christ, if you haven't read it, I strongly recommend you get a copy of it and read it. He writes in that book a simple quote. He said, It is not normal to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and not have a heart that aches for the lost. That would be like a gas station that never pumps gas or an airport where planes never land or a water water fountain that never gives water. Shouldn't it bother us when people who we love, who are so important in our lives, don't know about the love that God has for them? Shouldn't it bother us to know that they might miss out on heaven? Why don't people share this? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but over the course of a number of years, I've kind of come to land on two specific reasons why people stop sharing grace or they never actually start. Now, the first one, the first reason that they don't is apathy. Apathy. This may sound harsh, but the truth is many Christians have knowledge and understanding about Jesus, but they don't share it. And the results are that their unsaved family and friends are doomed. They're going to miss out on heaven. They're going to miss out on life abundant here. They're going to face the punishment of hell. Nobody likes to talk about hell, but the Bible is really clear. There's only two ultimate destinies for eternity. One is heaven and the other is hell. There is no excuse for us not caring enough to tell those, to risk it, just to throw caution to the wind and risk it to tell them about the grace of God. Now, having said that, I know it's not always easy. I know this can be hard and complicated in our thinking, but it's really not that complicated. I had a conversation several years ago with two ladies two separate conversations with them, but it was the same conversation. I asked the same questions, and their responses were exactly the same. And the question that I posed to them was, what would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to sacrifice and invest? What, what, how far would you be willing to go so that your kids, your son or your daughter or your grandkids might know Jesus? And both women, separate conversations, had almost the exact same response. They said, I'll do anything. 
In fact, I would do everything that I could in order for them to know Jesus. I would invest everything I have so that they know Jesus. That was a very moving moment. And then I pivoted and I asked this question. What about the guy who lives right across uh, Pink Pigeon Parkway here? What about that guy? What would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to invest so that he would know Jesus? And you know, truthfully, they kind of pivoted. They weren't as passionate about it. They say, well, you know, I want him to know Jesus. I, I don't necessarily want to change my style of music so that he'll know it. Or, you know, I'm not going to spend the money the same. I think it's because they love their kids so much. They love their grandkids so much. And they don't know that guy. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not that they don't care about the lost. It's just they care so deeply about their own kids. You see, love is the antidote for apathy. When you love someone, you will crawl on burning broken glass to tell them about God's love for them. The gospel explains that Jesus can wash away their sins and save them from eternity without him. When we love someone we make sure they have all the information that they need in order to know Jesus personally. Apathy is a reason why we don't share, why we quit sharing. But there's another reason, and that is fear. Fear. Many people don't share because they're afraid of failing or looking foolish or offending others or embarrassing themselves or they're afraid that people just aren't interested and they're going to look stupid. Courage is the antidote for fear. Mark Middleberg, who's the co-author of a best-selling book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, writes this. People in general are more interested in spiritual matters than we think they are. You know, I don't believe that I've ever met any person who intentionally didn't want to end up in heaven someday. Now, there's people who will say that, but I think when you get right down to the bottom core of who they are, nobody wants to spend eternity in hell. Everybody wants to have that belief that they're going to end up in heaven. So let's share God's grace with them. Let's let them know about the good news. So maybe, maybe through the course of this message, you get to a part where your heart's pliable enough and you say, you know what, I'm open to that. I mean, I... I don't want guilt to be the motivator. Somebody told me years ago that guilt is a good motivator. It's just not a very healthy motivator. I mean, you can get a lot of people do a lot of things if you make them feel guilty enough. That's not the hope here. I hope that you could see that you have family and friends who are distant from God. They don't have a relationship. They don't have a connection with Him. And you don't want them to miss out on it. So you'll figure out a way to share that message. Well, let me give you a couple things that I think will be really helpful. Very simple method in sharing the grace of God. The first thing, if you want to share the grace of God, that you should do is pray. Pray. Intercede for that pre-Christian person. We're hopeful that they're going to give their life to Jesus. We're going to pray as though they're just a, a work in progress. And we're going to pray asking God to send people to share with them about his good news. And we're going to pray for these pre-Christians to see the need in their own life for God's grace. And then we're going to pray that we'll have enough love and courage in order to share with them this good news. And then secondly, maybe the easiest thing in this entire list is invite them. 
Invite someone to something like Easter or Christmas Eve. You know, you all, we had, we had one of the best Christmas Eve services in a long, long time around here. I mean, the, the crowd was great. Almost a thousand people were here that night. It was a great celebration. And many of you handed out invite cards. You invited family and friends. So there was one of our guys had an entire row over here of his whole family. I don't know if they were at gunpoint when they came in, but they were all here. You know, it was amazing. And I got to meet them all, you know. It was, it was an awesome night. It's a simple invitation. Or maybe you invite them to a Bible study you're part of, or a concert that we have around here, or a worship night, or a social gathering, or a men's event, or a women's retreat, or a, a life group gathering, or something where they can be engaged with the gospel through just the social interaction of other believers. And then the third thing, share your personal story with them. Explain to them what Jesus means to you. We call that your personal testimony. Tell your story of how Jesus saved you and how you've experienced hope and peace and meaning and purpose and forgiveness in your life. And then the fourth thing, just explain the gospel. It's a simple message. Man and God were together and man sinned and it broke the relationship apart. And then Jesus came and he lived and then he died and then he rose from the dead. And that death on the cross was a sacrifice that that bloodshed was sufficient to wash away the sins of the world. No longer did we have to offer sacrifices on the altar. Jesus was a sacrifice once for all. And when we share that with people and they accept him as their Lord, he'll wash away their sins. They'll get, them. They'll get to be part of the family of God. The Spirit of God dwells in them, and they have the promise of everlasting life in heaven. What could that look like if all of us in this room said, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to risk it a little bit, and I'm going to share God's grace with one or more people. In 2017, if you'll indulge me just for a moment to paint a little picture. Last year, we averaged 770 people every Sunday. That's awesome. That's, this is the third year in a row where we've had an increase. And, and we don't celebrate that other than God is doing something here, and we praise Him for that. It's exciting to see lives change, marriages transformed. But every week, we would have, on average, 770 people, and out of that, 144 of those are children over in that, on that floor and that floor in that direction. 144. Aren't you grateful for all those people serving over there? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for them. That means that out of 770, there are 626 of us, adults and students, that meet in the first and second service every week. What might happen if those 626 of us prayed and invited and shared our testimony, our story, and then we shared the gospel with just one person over the course of the 12 months of 2018? What might happen? Now, I'm not saying you have to just do one person. You could, you could share with hundreds of people. That's up to you. But what would happen, just for the sake of discussion, if we all said, over the course of the next 12 months, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest the gospel in at least one person. And let's just say that 626 of them are not all going to accept Jesus. But what if 50% of them did? What if 
313 people decided to follow Jesus as a result of that. How cool would that be? It'd be amazing. Think about it. What if only a third of them accepted? That would be 209 people. Or only a quarter, 157. Or a fifth, 125. Or what if it was only a tenth? That'd be 63 people added to the kingdom of God. What if it was uh, 125th? That's a really small part of that, right? 25 people, part of the family of God. What if it was only one person? Would it still be worth it? I promise you, to that person, it would be. It would be. Steve preached last week that there are no lost causes. That is a great message. I hope you'll never forget it. If you, have, if you didn't see it, you should go back and you should listen to it. Because he tells a story about trying to beat up people in an ice cream store, and it's worth it. <laughs> That's a great message. Great message. But he's right. There are no lost causes. Everyone is important in the kingdom of God. If you lock eyes with another human being, you need to know in your heart that that person matters to God. They do. They do. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you know this. You are so important to him. He adores you. In fact, Jesus came to die, not just for me, not just for other Christians in here, but he came to die for you. And you should never forget that. Ever forget that. I want to close with a story about a guy who, if the world says there were lost causes, this guy would fit that category, at least for a season in his life. His name was Harold Morris. Harold Morris was an ex-con who was sentenced for the mistakes that he made, really hanging out with the wrong people for a long enough period of time. He ended up behind bars in, on death row. He was serving two life sentences for crimes that he didn't commit. The people he was with did, and they turned on him in court, testifying that he was the one who pulled the trigger. And as a result, he was on death row. While in prison, though, Harold came to know Christ through some friends who loved him, gave him a Bible, they shared Christ with him, and eventually he surrendered his life to Jesus. And after eventually being pardoned for his crimes, he started sharing his testimony in prisons with prisoners all around the country. He writes in his book, Twice Pardoned, about one of those trips when he visited a prison where Mike Godwin was awaiting execution. When Harold arrived, he was told that this 21-year-old inmate had almost killed a guard and another inmate in a fight on the previous day. After speaking to the inmates on death row, the warden asked Harold if he would visit with Mike, who was being held in a detention cell that resembled strongly a dungeon. The warden simply said, we don't know what to do with this guy. Would you witness to him? I mean, when all else fails, you know, tell him about God, right? (laughs) And, And Harold said, I couldn't wait. He was all in on it. Absolutely. He was totally willing. And so Harold and Mike met in a room with concrete walls, a concrete ceiling, a metal door. Mike came in. They walked him in wearing handcuffs to prevent him from hurting Harold. And Mike said simply this, what do you want? It's none of this religion junk, is it? (laughs) Harold said, no, I promise. He said that really was all he needed to say. And he walked over and he shook Mike's hand. I'm sorry about your handcuffs. I wish they'd take them off, Harold said. What do you want, Mike said. They tell me you're, the, you're, you're violent and you're, you almost killed a guard and an inmate yesterday. That's right, 
Mike responded. They tell me you're the most violent man here. That's right, Mike said impatiently. I don't think you're violent at all. I think you're just angry, Harold surmised. Mike shook his head. He said, that's right. I'm not violent. I'm just angry. Harold breathed a sigh of relief, (laughs) as you can imagine. And then he said, Mike, I know you don't want to hear any religion junk, and I'm not going to tell you any religion junk. But I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and what he means in my life. You see, I spent nine and a half years in prison, too. And Mike was floored. He said, you? Harold said, yes. And Harold went on to share about the time in prison that he had spent and the friends who gave him a Bible and led him to Christ. And he told Mike of his Christian growth during those final five years in prison. And he stressed that Jesus is real. Harold talked for about an hour. And then Mike looked at him with tears in his eyes and he said... I don't want to trust any Christ, and I don't believe in God, but would you pray with me? To which Harold said, you bet I will. And Harold prayed for God to make his power known to this angry young man. And then he said, Mike, I have to leave now, but I'll be back. Mike cynically said, yeah, that's what they all say. And Harold repeated it, I'll be back. And Harold went back every week for quite a while. Although he didn't see Mike every time, Mike knew that he had come as he promised. And when Harold shared with the death row inmates again on June of 1982, Mike was out of detention by then. And he hugged Harold, and he stood near him and he, as he spoke to the group. And when Harold finished, he felt a nudge on his shoulder. Again, there were tears in Mike's eyes. Will you help me, Mike asked. I don't ever want to hurt anybody ever again. Of course I will, Harold said, and then he opened his Bible. Mike, he said, it's obvious to me that you're a highly, you've got an extremely high IQ, and I want you to write this down. And so Mike started writing down as Harold shared scripture after scripture that talked about God's love for mankind. And then Mike said this, and then Harold said this, excuse me, Mike, that same God loves you because of what Paul says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me see that, Mike said. Harold showed him in the truth in God's word, and then he moved on to Romans 10.13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Harold said, that's for you, Mike. That's for me. That's for everyone who calls upon his name. Mike, don't take it from me. Don't take my word on this. Don't trust me. I love you, but I'll fail you. Not because I want to fail you, but because I'm human. However, Jesus will never fail you, Mike. You're an intelligent man. I want you to go back to your cell and read these scriptures. Give God a chance to speak to your heart, and you'll respond. And then Harold gave him a Bible. Two days later, Harold Morris received a letter from Mike Godwin. And the letter simply said this, After you left, I went to my cell on death row and opened the Bible and read the scriptures you gave me. Every word, over and over. For the first time in my life, I realized the truth. I got on my knees and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I'd rather be here now and be the man I am today than be on the streets free. Would you help me grow? Harold said, I couldn't hardly wait to go back to that prison. Mike was a changed man, eager to learn about Jesus and lead others to know him. 
God began using Mike in tremendous ways, even though he was on death row. Harold Morris, some would say, was a lost cause. But he had enough love and courage to share the gospel, the grace of God, with a guy who everyone would have said was a lost cause, Mike Godwin. And the result was that Mike accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. You see, anybody can do this, and it's worth it because it can change someone's eternal destiny. We all know someone. Maybe they're close to us. Maybe they're our spouse. Maybe they're one of our children. Maybe they're one of our parents. Maybe they're a coworker, a friend, a close high school friend, a college friend, someone who we've been doing life with for a long, long time. We all know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Somewhere on your outline, there's a line. You can just write the name of that person down. I'm not asking you to write 50 names. Just write one. You can write 50, and I unleash you to go. I, en- I encourage you to go after them all. But I know that for most of us, that'd just be too overwhelming. But what about one? And what if we all did that in just half or a quarter or a 25th? We'll make a difference in the population of heaven. So when you write that name down, start praying and start inviting if it's possible and share your story with them and share what you know the gospel to be and it will change their life. Even if they don't come to know Jesus, even if they don't surrender to him, your interest and willingness to share what's so important to you with them will communicate a message to them that they are so valuable to you and it will change their life. And I promise you, many of those people will accept that And they'll say yes to Jesus because of it. In John 3, 17, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You need to know this. God loves you. And he went to great lengths so that you might have your sins forgiven and have everlasting life. You know, if this is new to you, you never really thought about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or be part of his family. And this has just piqued some interest to you. I'm going to be right down here in the front after this service. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe this isn't a good time, but you'd like to further this conversation. You fill out that connect card and make a note on it, and one of our guys will follow up with you. We'd love to talk to you about what Jesus means to us and tell you how you can step into a relationship with him. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you. I prayed with a guy after the first service. It was a great opportunity to get to know him and just share part of the journey of his life. I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you'd like to know more about how to be part of this church family. If that's the case, I'd be more than willing to talk with you. Don't take this message of grace lightly. Please don't feel guilty because of what you haven't done in the past. We can't unwrite that. What we can change is what happens today and moving forward. Maybe just one. And maybe if that's the only one who ever says yes to Jesus out of all 626 of us, think about how important that would be to them and think how valuable that will be to you. Let's share grace. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for making a way for us by forgiving sin through Jesus' death on the cross. 
Thank you for overcoming the powers that Satan had in death. God, we are so grateful that we can have a relationship with you so we can spend eternity in heaven with you. God, we thank you that through our relationship with you, we can have peace in this life and purpose and meaning and hope and forgiveness. Lord, we pray that you'll fill us with love and courage in order to share with those who are part of our inner circle. They're part of our life. We, we love them deeply, and yet they don't know Jesus yet. Give us the love and courage that we need to share that story of how you repaired the brokenness of our relationship through Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are here today that they need this grace in their life personally. I pray that they'll take this step to make you Lord and Savior of their life. That they won't miss out on eternity. God, I know it's a risk. I pray they'll have the courage to take it. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. You sent Jesus to die in our place. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship you.